Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Broad Eye podcast. I'm Dr. Bruno Fernandez, and today I have the honor of having Dr. Hunter Cherwick, VP of Clinical Service at Orbis International. How are you doing today, Hunter? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for hosting us and allowing us to talk about Orbis and our mission. Thank you very much for accepting the invite. Like just seeing everything you guys do, I can imagine how busy you are. So I really appreciate you giving some of your time to us. No, what you do, getting the word out and letting people learn about avoidable blindness and how we're treating that at Orbis is a mm -hmm. super important opportunity. So thank you for this opportunity. No, indeed. And I'm personally, you know, like, I mean, super interested about Orbis, like for a long time, you know, like I've been following what you guys do since the beginning. So I'm very happy to be able to talk with an insider today. <laughs> yeah, we're just, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary this month. So the Orbis Flying Eye Hospital took flight in March of 1982. So mm -hmm. you have been following us a long time, but uh, it's really a rich history. And I'm really excited to talk about how much we've evolved as an mm -hmm. organization and all the different diseases we treat and the places we go. That's great. We're going to get to that. But first, let's know a bit about you. Uh, so your background and like where you're based now. And then when did your story at Orbis uh, start? Yeah. So I grew up in the United States and I was trained as an ophthalmologist and eye doctor. And in 2005, I graduated my residency. I turned in my pager back when those were a thing. And I flew commercially in 2005 to the westernmost part of China to join the Flying Eye Hospital that was doing a training program in Western China. And it's really been a magical, you know, 15, almost 20 year ride now. I've been lucky enough to work with some of the best professors, work with some of the most amazing partners and help some of the patients in greatest need around the world. So really Orbis has been a blessing for me personally, as well as professionally. And when was that your first flight Orbis? Yeah. Yeah. So 2005. So mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, almost am coming up on 20 year anniversary. I know that Orbis is celebrating 40 years, mm -hmm. but uh, I really have had a chance to work all over the world. And one of the things I love about my position and with Orbis is everything we do is a skills exchange program on the flying eye hospital. So we get to see the local techniques and technologies and solutions they have. And then we get to show some of the best practices. The Flying Eye Hospital really is the Flying United Nations. We have people from six continents. Sometimes we'll have over a dozen countries working together uh, on a program. It's so exciting to, to literally see people working hand in hand, you know, in that operating room. So the Flying Eye Hospital is a U.S. accredited hospital. We have our own laser room. We have a teaching classroom. We have a simulation center. We also have an operating room. And in that operating room with the anesthesiologists, the biomedical engineers, the nurses, as well as the ophthalmologist, we sometimes will have, you know, eight or 10 countries working together. And the only thing they care about is that patient under the blanket and teaching each other the best skills. In my opinion, it's the best example of functional diplomacy I've ever seen. And obviously when you watch the news, you can get very sad these days. When I look in that operating room, I see the best of humanity and the best of humankind. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, of course, it's hard to disagree with that. And like bringing good tends to bring people together as well. Uh, how did it Orbis start? Like, did it start already? Like, I mean, as this, like, I mean, fancy hospital with 
everything or it was like a much more modest uh, initiative? Well, everything begins with humble beginnings. And it mm -hmm. was actually an ophthalmologist in Texas named David Payton who came up with the idea. And the first plane was a much smaller plane. It was a DC-8. And then we had a second generation plane, which was a, a DC-10. And now we're flying an MD-10, which was donated by FedEx. So without FedEx, we don't have our parts. We don't have our plane. We don't get supplies delivered. So FedEx gives us everything from incredible volunteer pilots to delivering our supplies so that we can carry out our mission. So they did, they did not only give you the plane, they, they also help maintain it. Oh, and they give us the pilots, but every time we get a restock. So when we do a program, we can do sometimes six or even eight weeks of uh, clinical programs, but we need to restock and get new IVs, new solutions, new intraocular lenses. So FedEx is meeting us around the world in Dubai or Singapore, or the Philippines, and they're giving us all these large pallets or these very large containers that have our next program supplies. So, you know, without FedEx, our mission uh, does not exist with the Flying Eye Hospital. Yeah, it, it just highlights how important it is to have the private sector supporting this kind of like not-for-profit initiatives. Uh, is there any other company that helps the, the project? Absolutely. So Omega, like the watches, like the mm -hmm. Omega watches, Alcon, which is one of our largest pharmaceutical sponsors, they're, they're a very, very big um, supporter of um, Orbis as well. So yes, without the support of corporations and individual donors, we have some people who give $1 a month to Orbis. Without those supporters like FedEx, Omega, and Alcon, the Flying Eye Hospital does not exist. And I mean, the way the hospital is now, uh, what kind of procedure, what kind of surgery can be done? That's a great question. So we do not do cosmetic procedures and we do not do refractive procedures like LASIK, but any other procedure that you would have done in eye care, we can do on the Flying Eye Hospital. We do not do orthopedics. We do not do cleft surgery, but any eye procedure that you would have in Montreal or in Toronto we actually can do on the Flying Eye Hospital in a U.S. accredited hospital. And uh, I mean, going to the specifics of the Flying Hospital itself, like uh, how many operating rooms you have or like examining rooms? So we only have one operating room on the plane and we have a waiting room and a clinical exam area as well. Our goal is not to come in and show off. Our goal is to come in and show how. Mm. And so certainly we're not trying to do as much surgery as possible. We're trying to teach as much as possible. So we will, you know, do five or six, seven cases in a day. But really the, 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 the thing that we want to leave behind are new skills, new technologies, new team trainings that last for years. So Our goal is not to come in and do a thousand procedures. In fact, if we did that, we, we couldn't, you know, teach because teaching takes time. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to work hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with the local eye care teams and transfer skills and technology that they can use after we take off. I guess this is the old adage of like teaching a man how to fish. Or... Exactly. And even though my name is Hunter, I love fishing. So I like <laughs> fish. I like fishing professionally with Orbis and personally when I go around the world. 
<laughs> so I guess the, the 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 success metric and so much like I mean how many people you treat, but it's more like how many doctors you train. Exactly. Well, and nurses, sometimes our biggest impact is on the nursing team, teaching new infection control, how to take care of the very, very delicate instruments that we use for eye care. We'll teach anesthesia. Don't forget, we do, you know, 30% of our cases are children. And to do a two-year-old's cataract surgery, we have to put them safely to sleep. So we do a lot of anesthesia training, a lot of biomedical engineering on the flying eye hospital. We have our own water filtration, air purifying, electrical backup. So just like any hospital, we have to have engineers to keep all of our systems at peak performance, no matter where we are in the world. Yeah, that's, that's it must be a, like a, quite a challenging logistical undertaking right to manage all that and make sure you don't miss any supplies when you are like in the middle of nowhere i guess exactly and that's where fedex is so huge mm -hmm. i mean fedex helps us with every aspect of that we actually have a logistics team that does everything from security to patient you know uh, transport so the patients uh, do not stay on the Orbis plane overnight. They're registered at the local hospital and they come to the airport or to the Orbis plane by ambulance. Well, we have to organize all of the ground logistics. We have to make sure we get lunches delivered every day. So I, I can assure you, it is an incredible engineering masterpiece, the hospital, but to run it every day is uh it takes an entire team working with our partners to make sure everything runs smoothly and we do the best teaching and the best patient care. Oh, that's, that's super impressive. So we, and I mean, we, I think we are starting to have the, the idea that the, the Orbis is more like than just a flying hospital because like, I mean, you go there and then you try to establish a presence like with the local community. So the, the, the benefits that you bring like do not end when, when, the flight, when the plane takes off. Yeah. Can we go into like what else Orbis do? <laughs> Absolutely. So the Orbis plane and the Flying Eye Hospital programs are only 20% of our budget. So we have permanent offices around the world, for example, in India or in China, in Vietnam, in Bangladesh, in Peru, in Africa, like Ethiopia and Zambia. We have permanent teams working day in and day out on multi-year projects with our partners. So for example, in Ethiopia, there's a disease called trachoma, which is an infectious cause of blindness. And we distribute over $200 million worth of donated antibiotics a year to treat that, that bacteria so that people are not going blind from a very treatable and preventable cause along the Ethiopian-Kenyan border. So we have team members around the world working every day hand-in-hand -hand with our partners. We also have a very exciting program called CyberSight, C-Y-B-E-R-S-I-G-H-T, dot org org your listeners can go to that website now and look at it for themselves it has really become the world's largest freely available telemedicine and distance learning training platform for eye health professionals around the world so please know that at orbis we understand the complexities of blindness and poverty and how those two things are very closely linked and we have many tools in our tool belt whether it's the Flying Eye Hospital or using CyberSight or our simulation training, just like they use for pilots. 
And then also we do multi-year capacity building projects with on the ground hospitals in all of the different country programs we serve. And this, this uh, cyber site learning platform, is it uh, exclusive to the areas that you serve and have partnerships with, or is it open to any ophthalmologist in any country? It's available to any eye health professional. We actually have programs on that uh, website to teach school teachers how to find eye problems in their students at the front of the classroom. So our goal is if you care about eye care, And if you want to learn more about eyes, you can go to cybersite.org. We're in every country in the world. So we're in over 200 countries working every day with distance learning. We do webinars. We have courses. We actually have artificial intelligence now where doctors can submit photos of the back of the eye, the retina, and very quickly find out if the patient is at risk for glaucoma, macular disease like macular degeneration, or diabetes. Yeah, uh, like 200 countries. Like, I mean, can you give us a sense of scale, like how big Orbis is in terms of like how many people we have working? Yeah, so Orbis has over 330 employees. Mm-hmm. We're all around the world. And what's really exciting is we have certain force multipliers like the plane, which gives us an incredible platform for teaching, advocacy, patient care, but things like CyberSight, where now we can reach the far, far corners of countries with books and lectures and courses and consults. So it really is exciting to see how now, especially with, you know, iPhones or, you know, the uh, smartphones that people in very remote areas now can be watching one of our live lectures. When we started the Orbis Flying Eye Hospital had 46 seats in the classroom. Now we can broadcast from the Orvis plane and have 46 countries watching the lecturers or interacting with the operating room and asking the surgeons real-time questions. So when I joined Orvis in 2005, I never thought we would be doing live teaching from the plane around the world. I never thought we would be doing artificial intelligence or building simulators, just like video games, to train surgeons on how to improve their their techniques or their skills before they ever touch a human eye or go into the operating room. So it really has been exciting to see how Orvis has embraced innovation and technology from the day we took off uh, over 40 years ago to today, where now we're delivering the best possible teaching to the most remote doctors, nurses, and anesthesiologists around the world. Yeah, going to where it matters, right? And then going where like nowhere else can go. Exactly. And that's what's so exciting. Like we just published research articles where we're helping the most remote places of Ethiopia with that bacteria that I talked about called trachoma. Mm-hmm. We're helping factory workers in Bangladesh see better so they have better take-home pay as they work in the textile mills. Our goal at Orbis is to improve vision so that it will lead to better education, better local economics for a family or a community, Mm -hmm. or better equity. One of the things we're very focused on at Orbis is the imbalance between blindness between men and women, boys and girls. And so we are doing a very strong campaign Mm. to address the gender issues that face healthcare and healthcare access but especially in eye care. So we're trying to do everything we can to promote equity 
and make sure that no person is left behind and suffers needlessly from avoidable or treatable blindness. Mm -hmm. And like, what is that imbalance between genders? Like, is it one that it's more affected than the other? So, uh, so it is not simply because women live longer mm -hmm. that there's more cataracts. It is truly an access and education, a uh, issue of gender equity. And so we do a lot. We understand that there's a lot of social and economic reasons for blindness. It's not simply just doing the surgery. How do I get the patient to the hospital? How do I help the family understand the procedure? In some of the places where we go, the cultures believe that part of getting older is going blind. That's just something you can't prevent. And that's something where we do community training, community eye health education. But yes, to your point, we want to make sure that no child, boy or girl, is left behind. We want all of them to see clearly the blackboard or the classroom. You know, we want workers to be safe in the workplace and maximize their take-home pay. We just did a, a recent article looking at the safety of buses in Bangladesh. And we found a lot of the drivers had refractive error or eye diseases and may not be able to drive safely, especially at night. So, you know, even though people think that vision is not a life-threatening disease, well, when it becomes something like car accidents or children being neglected um, or being abandoned, we work in refugee camps in Bangladesh, for example, with the Rohingya crisis. I was physically there and I can assure you, I took off my glasses. I'm, I'm very nearsighted or myop myopic. Mm -hmm. I can assure you without my glasses, me being able to move around and, and survive in a refugee camp would be extremely difficult. So we're very, very lucky. You and I are very lucky. We've had an incredible life. I've, you know, before we started the, the, the mm -hmm. podcast, I heard about your background and how you came and have traveled all around the world. We sometimes forget and we take good vision for granted, but you could imagine if you were a small child in a refugee camp or in a, you know, a, a famine threatened area of Africa, for example, if you didn't have your glasses or you didn't have your vision, all of a sudden your, your visual impairment could become a life-threatening disease. Yeah, no, no, can I, I mean, I've, during my years of training, I, I'm from Brazil. I, I remember like treating retinoblastoma and uh, I mean, sometimes a kid would lose an eye just because the mother didn't have the money to pay the bus ticket, you know, like, I mean, and then come to a consultation. It just shows, like, I mean, how sometimes it is relatively simple you know, to avoid blindness, but, it, you know, if the solution ain't there, the kid lose an eye. Well, let's, let's talk about that. So I'm, I, just for your, your listeners that may not know what retinoblastoma is, it is an eye cancer uh, that affects young children. And sometimes in families, it can be caused from genetics. Well, we have now managed almost a thousand children from around the world with this very rare eye cancer, but it can be lethal. It's very close to the brain. It can spread to the brain and other parts of the body. We have managed over a thousand children for free with experts uh, at Toronto Sick Children, mm -hmm. as well as at St. Jude Hospital, which is a pediatric oncology or a pediatric cancer hospital in Memphis, which is where FedEx is based and also sponsors that charity. So do realize that you said that they couldn't get on the bus or they couldn't come or they came too late. We actually do entire training programs and we use CyberSight 
so that literally a photo or an expert ta- uh, expert opinion can be given in literally minutes and the child doesn't even have to fly or come to Toronto or Memphis. We can give them the same level of care and the same expert opinion, no matter where they are. So retinoblastoma, like you said, is, is something where it's a tragedy where a child could have saved their vision. They could have saved their eye or they could have saved their life if they only had better access or, you know, could be seen by an expert. And you were saying that, you know, it was a tragedy when the mother couldn't afford the bus fare. Well, now anywhere in the world, we can get photos sent to us for free. And all of that is possible from our donations from individual donors or our large corporations. So again, you gave a perfect example of where vision can, you know, or an eye disease can threaten the life of a child or the entire family. Yeah, because then it becomes a burden, right? And for, for life, uh, I'm going to say something that you definitely know, but our, our audience may might not. And when we talk about like this 200 people, this big organization and the FedEx helping and, and a, a, a flying hostel, and then that sounds incredibly expensive. And then like, I mean, some, 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 someone might think like, oh, is it really worth it, right? Like, I mean, from an economical standpoint, of course, the monetary value of, of the initiative is obvious, but is it worth it? is it worth it from an economical standpoint? And then, I mean, there is a cost to blindness, right? Like when someone goes blind, like, I mean, there is a burden to him, to the family and society as a whole. And that burden gets a lot more significant when that blindness happens at at a young age, because like, I mean, that person will live most of his life without seeing. So not only are we going to miss the opportunity of having like a, a remarkable person doing great things, but it will become a burden to everyone, right? So it is costly like to let someone go blind. Well, I love the fact you just said that. And actually our India office just got a paper accepted. It will be published in the next few months about the billions and billions of dollars that are lost from earnings or education from visual impairment. And so one of the things I always tell people, you know, if you lose your sight, that is priceless because you, you, that is such a gift to have you know, good vision. But when you restore sight, you put that child back in school, you put that patient back into the workplace or back into the community. And when someone is visually impaired or blind, often they need a care provider. So when you give the, the patient who has very bad cataracts or bad retinal problems, when you give them their vision back, you put them back in the community and also their care provider. So eye care, specifically ophthalmology and optometry, are some of the most cost-effective things we do in medicine, especially when it's children. I think you and I both know there's a disease called retinopathy of prematurity, where young children who are born usually less than 32 weeks have the back of their eye, the retina, not fully developed. And if it's not closely monitored and treated, they can lose their vision for the next you know, 70 years. And once you've lost it, we can't bring it back. So Orbis, especially in Latin America, like I know this is very common and where, where you are in Brazil, Latin America, a lot of our work in Peru and Bolivia and other parts is really focused on the pediatric retinopathy of prematurity, where we're treating patients who don't even weigh two kilograms. So Orbis treats from the you know, beginning of life to the last day of life. We want to make sure everyone sees a brilliant future. And that's something that I'm really passionate and proud of our team, that they were working so hard in pediatric eye care 
to make sure that every child gets the chance to go to school and have a, a, a rich life with family and a meaningful profession and things like this. No, indeed. Like there's, there might not be a, a better return on investment for a country than to prevent kids from going blind. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, we spend in the plane is such a beautiful communication and advocacy tool because we'll bring on the president of the country, the, the minister of health. And often they're not even thinking about eye care. They're thinking about HIV or malaria or, you know, other diseases. And then we show them how fast we can do a cataract surgery, where in five or 10 minutes, we can change an adult's life. Or we show them what a pair of glasses can do to a small child in Southeast Asia. You and I both know that nearsightedness is growing and increasing at an alarming rate throughout the world, but especially in Asia. So we'll bring on the health leaders, the government leaders, the policy leaders, and show them how quickly we can treat the different eye diseases, get them engaged, educate them, have them sit for a lecture on you know, pediatric myopia or pediatric refractive error, and it will change the way they go back and think about their budgets, their policies. We've started school screening programs because we showed the president of the country how important school screenings or annual checks of children's visions are. That's very cool. So uh, I, I recently read an article that you wrote about like how COVID impacted like eye care uh, worldwide. And it's not that hard to imagine like, I mean, how that impacted like Orbis particularly, you know, because like having offices like all over the world. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I mean, every challenge creates an opportunity like to improve. So I figured that those uh, telemedicine and AI initiatives might have received a boost. So uh, walk us through, like, I mean, how, what, how, how, how challenging it was, like, I mean, during that time, what could not be done and what did you learn and implemented into the program after? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I will tell you, we're still learning and we're still growing as an organization. I remember, I think it was Winston Churchill who said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And certainly we have put all of our efforts in team and patient safety. However, we've leveraged our technology portfolio like simulation training so that we're having residents not lose the opportunity to build surgical skills and confidence to grow CyberSight, where we now have over 60,000 eye health professionals from around the world working together, using the platform to keep up on their medical skills as they can't go to conferences like they traditionally have. So certainly Orbis is an innovative nonprofit organization and COVID pushed us to think all new, all different ways of delivering on our mission whether it was using artificial intelligence, whether it was using telemedicine, whether it was using, you know, for example, our simulator. We have a surgical simulator that we're building right now, but we have it currently in seven different countries, 17 different centers on a randomized clinical trial, just like you do with innovation from industry. Orbis is running at the highest level of technology. And we're trying to prove our value and give the best articles, the best publications, so that when we meet with ministers of health or when we meet with donors, we can show them 
that we're doing the absolute best possible in training and technology through research, through uh, design. We, we are literally designing new instruments to help teach and deliver eye care through the pandemic. We delivered PPE to places like Zambia so that our doctors could be on the front line safely protecting themselves and their families as they treated patients in the clinic. So certainly the COVID pandemic has impacted us all. I will tell you, Orbis is coming out of the COVID tunnel stronger than ever with new resources, new ways of thinking, new opportunities to give even greater impact on our mission to treat avoidable blindness. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I mean, outside of Orbis, like you, when, I mean, I assuming you couldn't fly for a little while. And then once you reestablished relatively normal operations, were you able to see like uh, the impact that not having care for a little while? Yeah. So there, there are backlogs, uh, especially, you know, when, when the, when the operating room or the anesthesia machine has been used for treating COVID patients for months and months and months, certainly there's a backlog. And that's why we absolutely feel like our mission is more important now than ever. So when we speak to our donors and our supporters and our corporate sponsors, we let them know that COVID has made the challenge even greater, but we have even better tools, more innovative tools to have the impact we need to get not only those patients treated, but also to get those residents, those students, those nurses trained. Because a lot of them, you know, in certain countries were not doing eye care. They were mm -hmm. doing immunizations or they were in the hospital with COVID patients. We can't have a lost generation of residents and medical students who are not going to be able to be well-trained to treat avoidable blindness in their local communities. And so for me, I can tell you, I've, you know, I have never worked harder, even as an intern running around the hospital, 80, 90 hours a week. I have worked more hours per week with more intensity the last two years than I have any other point in my career. Cause I know that we're going to come out of this COVID tunnel and we have a big problem ahead of us, but we actually have better solutions to address the problem. Indeed. I, I agree there hundred percent, of course. Hunter, like, Last question. I mean, you you obviously incredibly busy. Uh, do you have any practice outside Orbis? Do you see patients still? No, no. I, I, I will tell you all of my patients, all of my clinical care, all of my professional energy goes towards Orbis. Mm -hmm. So I do not have a private practice here in the United States. Um, I don't, I don't see patients um, here in the United States. Um, but what's exciting is I get to work with some of the best people from around the world. And what's really been fun is um, one of my residents that I worked with, uh, you know, in 2000, uh, when we joined in 2001, he has now become an Orbis professor. And so what's really been fun during uh, COVID is reconnecting with old friends and getting them to come and help us with lectures or live surgical tech, you know, demonstrations. So I personally do not practice here in the United States, but what's really been exciting while I've been back in the United States, you know, during the pandemic, I've reconnected with some of our best academic partners and professors and gotten them to recommit or even commit more of their time to CyberSight and Orbis. Very cool. And like, I thank you for exclusive 
commitments like, uh, to this uh, cause. It's rare that you have ophthalmologists you know, like, I mean, foregoing a, a potential, potentially you know, like busy clinical practice like, I mean, to devote to a project like this. So I, I thank you. I want to thank you and your listeners. Obviously, if they want to learn more about Orbis, you can go to orbis.org, orbis.org. And certainly for those who enjoy technology or want to learn and see some of the eye resources we have on CyberSight, you can go to C-Y-B-E-R-S-I-G-H-T.org. Obviously, we are a nonprofit organization. Anything you can do to help our mission, I greatly appreciate. And again, I just want to take, take a moment to thank you for giving us uh, this time and this platform to talk about the incredible work we do. It is not possible without people like you and your listeners. Uh, it's, it's our pleasure. And like all the websites you mentioned that like, will be listed on our, uh, on our website. So our listeners can go there and, and then check them out and support. So Hunter, thank you very much again like for your time. I really appreciate it, the talk we had. And uh, thank you again for what you think you do. And uh, good luck on this uh, very challenging endeavor. Let's let's plan another one of these. This was fun. Let's yeah. get another one of these on the books. And I can tell you even more of the stuff we're going to be doing six or 12 months from now. Okay. Oh, I'm going to have you back for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, again, I hope I hope summer finds Canada soon. I hope you get to enjoy time with your family. And again, thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about Orbis. Thank you, Hunter. Have a good one. And that concludes today's episode of the Broad Eye Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Of course, ratings and reviews are always welcome. And you can certainly share this episode with any of your colleagues or friends who might enjoy it. Thanks for listening.